Menopause Space podcast is brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. Hi, it's Lisa here. A quick announcement about a certified menopause training course I'm holding for healthcare professionals in Hong Kong. It's CPD training for anyone in the health and wellness space, and the aim is for you to have the skills to understand, offer care, and manage the risks for this growing population group. The training is on the 22nd of September at The Hive in Xiong Wan. Book in before the 31st of August to receive the early bird pricing. Head over to themenopausespace.com slash events to sign up. I hope to see you there. Now, back to the podcast. Menopause affects everyone. No matter what stage of life you are at, the chances are you know somebody experiencing menopause or perimenopause right now. While menopause is a natural stage of life, hormone fluctuations can lead to irritability, mood swings, anxiety, and even depression. So this week on the Menopause Space, we're talking about how to safeguard your own mental health during menopause and how to communicate your experiences with those around you to promote greater mutual understanding. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong, and you're listening to The Menopause Space. Coming up on this episode... Take some time to look at what's going on, be aware and educate yourself over what you're experiencing and taking time for yourself regularly because, like we said, we're not doing the things our bodies were designed to do. Catherine Gale, registered psychologist and mindfulness meditation coach, talks us through the best practices for maintaining good mental health during menopause. Hello, Catherine, and welcome to the Menopause Space. How are you today? Good, thank you, Lisa. I'm fabulous. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation because mental well-being is such a topic of conversation, which is fantastic, but actually mental well-being during the menopause transition and midlife is even more interesting for me. So let's start there. The menopause transition can be super overwhelming for many women. They're often juggling work, possibly going for promotions, maybe juggling family and many, many other things within their, you know, family world. What advice is there for women in midlife <laughs> in general um, to help them cope with the overwhelm? Where do you start? <laughs> I think that's the thing, right? You hit it on the head. It's the overwhelm. And then, you know, throw hormonal shift into the overwhelm and it kind of can be quite sort of knock things askew, you know. I feel like when you say advice, I feel like time for self and do things that you, you know, want to do and that nourish you and all of those things that sound kind of that's a great idea but we don't have the time. But to be completely honest, it gets to a point it's not optional. And I'm not talking about spending a day at a spa necessarily or getting a massage, but whatever it is for you that helps you to decompress, obviously deep breathing and all sorts. Of, I mean, there are so many different things, but it's just it's not optional. Taking some time out for you, whether that be 10 minutes or an hour or two hours or half a day at that weekend or whatever, it's not optional if you're going to get through this. Yeah. And I suppose having been menopausal for now 11 years, juggling two toddlers, now, you know, moving house and working as a working mum, 
somebody needs me all the time and I choose to walk. I try and fit in a walk every day because one, it gets me out of the house because I work at home and I've got toddlers at home. And two, nobody's around me. So I walk in nature and I really find that helps. So as a psychologist and the expert who provides advice to women, but also somebody who is juggling teens and going through midlife transition as well. What do you choose to do to help with the overwhelm? Well, I do in part exactly that. Connection to nature is so important the way we were designed and, and moving, doing the exercise and moving whatever movement is for, you know, for someone, but for me, hiking, but just something to help that stress level. Obviously there's good stress. Stress isn't always bad, but when it's just constant, we don't get that break from the overwhelm. So exercise and deep breathing help dissipate the stress hormones out of our blood to be able to just keep things at a manageable level. So walking's a big thing for me and just taking time in the morning. I really try to make a coffee and just sit for 10 or 15 minutes, looking out at nature and kind of connecting with nature in that moment as well. And it sets up the day, taking some deep breaths. So yeah, like you say, taking that that moment for yourself. And the thing is that some people feel guilty about it. We all at times feel guilty about that. Um, but, you know, you hear people say guilt is a kind of, it's not a terribly useful emotion unless it's going to evoke change. And really, when we feel guilty, we're imposing our beliefs and thoughts about how somebody else feels. So if I feel guilty, like, oh, my kids won't be okay if I go out for a walk, I'm actually making assumptions about them and about their mental health that may or may not even be true. So it's as much as everybody needs us in different pockets of time, if we feel guilty, we're actually making assumptions that, let's be honest, most of the time aren't true. God, the guilt. I think we, we go through guilt no matter what stage of life, whether we have kids or we don't have kids or whether we're supposed to be doing something, but we're choosing to prioritize something else. And it's like you say, are you just evoking that for, you know, on somebody else? Is that somebody else's, you know, response that you think they're going to have on you. And I love that sitting with the coffee in the morning and, you know, with toddlers and, and some people, it's just chaos in the morning in their house, you know, and I've chosen to get up 30 minutes or more earlier than my children get up just to have time on my own where nobody needs me. And there's so many solutions for people, isn't there? Like there's that time or there's the walking, but it's finding the one that fits with you within your actual time frame. And something that you enjoy, Absolutely. you know, oh, I've got to get out and do this or I should do that. Forget the shoulds. Do something that excites you. If it doesn't excite you and you don't want to do it, don't do it. That's not your you time. Don't mistake that for you time. If you aren't excited by it and you don't want to do it, that's not you time. That's more time you think you should be doing something that someone thinks you should do. Do something that you enjoy. Let me ask you now about how you start the conversation with somebody. Like we live here in Hong Kong and menopause unfortunately is quite a taboo subject and there's not a lot of conversation around the topic at present but for a lot of women with this overwhelm they may not even understand what's going on with their own body they may just think it's normal midlife stress so how would they start the communication with a loved one which could be a partner a friend or even their child 
Where do you start? I would start with education of myself because I don't want it to sound like a weakness. I don't want it to sound like I'm falling apart. There's something wrong with me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just can't cope. Rubbish. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm doing too much. And okay, there may be hormones involved in what I'm experiencing as well. So I'm not taking it on as there's something wrong with me. I want to educate myself as to what might I expect. As you know, you said before, there's so many different symptoms on the you know, scales of less or more or whatever. So recently I was saying to you in from from late last year for a few months I had that brain fog where I was like literally if I did not know that that can be a symptom of menopause and if I hadn't read that I had read that some people feel like they have early onset dementia I literally would have been like there is something wrong with my brain and then it cleared you know in the last two or three months it's been fine So the point is educate yourself as to what's possible, what your body's doing. And it's really important that you also don't see it as a, oh, I'm experiencing this, so that's it now. Mm -hmm. You know, so many things that we learn about um, ways to cope with when we're experiencing anxiety, when we're experiencing overwhelm, even the physical symptoms. You know, so many things that I've learned working with pelvic floor physiotherapists that I knew nothing about. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I had that, no way I would have seen someone. I would have been like, that's it. That's me for the rest of my life. Like it's so not, and we just don't know. So I can't educate someone else as well and do a good job of it if I don't know myself. So I would be thinking, okay, what's going on? Well, that's it. And a partner, if I think back to my husband in the first five years, I was so up and down with everything because of my low energy. And on the weekends, as a walking health and wellness guru, really, that's how I presented myself. I was like a couch potato on the weekends and I didn't have the energy to go out anywhere. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, was snappy at him. And we used to have this, you know, discussion about, well, it's not my fault. I didn't, you know, want this. And he would say, well, I didn't, you know, want this either. It's not my fault either. And, but I didn't have the knowledge within those first five years of being menopausal. It's only over the last six, seven years that I have, like you say, educated myself done the research, the courses, the programs, and knowledge is power. And now if I am having a low day, which thankfully my hormones are being managed, that I have less. So I do agree with you that there is hope, there is ways that you can manage this the certain symptoms that you have. But I can now, if I do have a, a low day, I can say to him, this is how I'm feeling today. Please don't be upset with me. If I snap, just bear with me and hopefully tomorrow will be a better day. So I do agree with you that education definitely really does empower the conversation. Exactly. And it's having that insight and not being ashamed of it. It's not a weakness. It's just how it is sometimes. You know, if, if we're hormonally irritable or anxious, it's like if I just, if we just want to take ourselves away to a quiet space for an hour, can't recognizing within ourselves, I'm not responding well to other people. That's okay. Exactly. As you said, say, do you know what? I know in myself, I'm not responding really well to things right now. I'm just going to take an hour. I feel like I just can't be around people just for now. Yeah. That's how this is. And also starting the conversation is half the battle. And once you've started the conversation and it's normal, then it's easier for topics such as, 
low libido or dry vagina where you might have to explain to your partner that it's not rejection. It's just, unfortunately, this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm not up for it, but I do love you. Or can you please pick up something in the pharmacy on the way home because you're having a date night, um, you know, to help with the, the dry vagina issue and you're both on on the same wavelength rather than you know him feeling rejected and you or her feeling rejected and you feeling oh no I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings but I just literally have no desire that's exactly right you can imagine how that spirals if the other partner is taking it personally <laughs> absolutely you know that whoa that's a spiral for well but you know there are going to be some battles out that are really unnecessary when at times that you can be transparent and just say well this is a thing this has come up now won't necessarily be forever this is just how it is right now and hopefully it won't be forever but there are ways to manage all of that as well yeah if you do speak to the right health professional that's right you can get the the tips to to manage that and to maintain that level of intimacy within your relationship that's right exactly so stress and anxiety two words thankfully that most people are very familiar with these days and during midlife, I know from working with clients, and I'm sure you find this too, you know, there is a lot of, we talked about overwhelm, but the word stress or I'm very anxious, you know, coming from a lot of women who, who are experiencing these, these hormonal fluctuations. But can you explain the difference between stress and anxiety and what possibly are things that present as stressors and things are not stressors, but stress symptoms and what is anxiety? And, and things that you would experience if you were feeling more anxious? Yeah, so physically both are very similar and we get similar physical sensations from both. So it's tricky in that way that it feels like they're kind of the same. If I'm stressed, I'll be experiencing this physically and if I'm anxious, I'll be experiencing the exact same thing physically. So, but anxiety is about rumination, things that haven't generally actually happened and may well not. So if I'm thinking about something that might happen next week that I'm concerned about, and I can turn that into a problem solving, like, oh, I'm concerned about that. So what I'm going to do is X, Y, Z, that's what's in my control. And then that will make me less concerned about that. That's sort of like where it could almost turn into anxiety, but I've turned it into problem solving. Anything beyond that is rumination. We're just ruminating. We're stuck in the what ifs. Oh, it's all going to be dreadful. Oh, but what if this symptom keeps going? How am I going to co I can cope today, but how can I cope in 10 years? What if that? What if this? How will it be? So the, the anxiety is about ruminating over stuff that's not happening in the here and now generally and quite often we find that people with anxiety are quite good at dealing with when stuff actually happens, but in their minds, they're not good at dealing with what might happen. So when they're faced with an actual thing, they're like, right, I've got this. But what cripples them is the idea of what might happen. So stress is when we're responding to something that's actually happening. And it can be chronic stress is when that, that thing that's actually happening or those things go on and on and on at a, at a level that creates a high level of stress. But for a lot of us, it's up, down, up, down, up, down, like a wave. And there's obviously good stress that motivates us and keeps us, yep, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on top of this, that deadline, right, I'm doing this, blah, blah, blah. When it's too much, we feel like we're not going to get the thing done and it's and our energy levels 
and our productivity levels go down. So we want to keep it at that point where it's a good amount and that we're, we're always aware. So we want to bring it down. We And the same with anxiety. We want to use deep breathing and exercise to manage that level. If it's been a stressful day, don't just go home and do nothing about it. Take 10 deep breaths on the way home from work to start beginning that process of just bringing that level down. So stress is more here and now or an actual thing I need to do something about if you know what I mean. whereas anxiety is about often about future worries so putting this into context say a woman is in the kind of pinnacle of her career she's at the she's got the leadership spot at the top table and she is used to dealing with stress and dealing with it really well and letting it go but she's moving into midlife and she's starting to forget things and she is coming up to you know a, a huge board meeting that she needs statistics she needs facts within the company so that you know she's going to be able to deliver well at this meeting and she starts then to get really anxious because she has this fear that she's not going to remember these statistics and not deliver the meeting that she would normally have done, I suppose, maybe even six months previous. What would you advise somebody, you know, in that situation? I would say, number one, the thoughts that are holding you back are things like, what are people going to think? They're going to think I can't do the job well enough anymore. I'm not going to do the job well enough anymore. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to lose this role? There's all of this stuff that's going on in the background of that as you're walking to the meeting. The other thing is just being real about it. Oh, I can't remember so many details off the top of my head. How can I write those down in such a way that it's okay? It's okay to use, (laughs) I'm so old fashioned, a piece of paper, maybe even like a computer, (laughs) but (laughs) it's okay to use a piece of paper to remember stuff. Like, for example, when I said I had that brain fog for a few months late last year, I was literally having to write stuff down that I would never have had to. But I was like, man, I've got to do this now. And then after a while that clears and it's fine. But it's the worries, the anxiety is not around, right, how am I going to remember these stats? I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to problem solve this. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. The anxiety is around what will people think? I'm not good enough at this job anymore. I'll lose it to someone who can remember the stats. That's the anxiety. And there's a different way to deal with that rubbish because none of it's real. And we need to go into those thoughts and really say, is that true? But it starts with awareness. So if she's just going, I'm anxious, how am I going to remember this? But isn't aware that the individual thoughts are things like, somebody else will get this job instead of me. I can't do the job as well. I'm not going to be good at this. If she's not aware of that, we can't do anything with it. We want to start with awareness of what really actually, what rubbish do we tell ourselves all the time that's causing the anxiety that's not true? And then just deal with the problem solving of the stats. You know, I wish you were in my life back in 2014. (laughs) But back in 2014, when I was at the Hong Kong Sports Institute and I was at the top of my game, but I had horrendous imposter syndrome because my memory wasn't working. Like I really thought that I had dementia, right? And standing up to deliver a presentation, my body was physically shaking, knocking together. Like you could physically see it. My colleagues would say, oh my goodness, are you okay? Because I felt I shouldn't be in this role. I They're going to find out that I'm not right for this role. And I think, you know, this is 
one of the reasons why, you know, we're doing the menopause space is so that experts like you can provide this information because I didn't have the skill set to break down that situation and help myself feel better. And there will be a lot of women currently in Hong Kong in highly stressful environments used to dealing with that stress very well. But all of a sudden, they're in their mid to late 40s and their hormones are starting to fluctuate and they are feeling like, what is going on? So having this knowledge will hopefully allow them to break down the scenarios and get them through that situation. And then, you know, after you do become that, you know, in that menopause, post-menopause, everything starts to settle down anyway. But at least if you can identify that and get the help you need, you feel so much better. That's right. And you can sometimes tell, sometimes you can't, but sometimes you can tell it's a bit of a hormonal rush that's or, or, or a hormonal reason that we're feeling anxious or irritable, or it's a bit out of character that I would be responding this way, but man, it feels really strong. Then we look at that and you know what? Just ride the wave. Oh, I'm feeling really irritable. The hormonal you know, shift can really kick in and just ride the wave. It's not going to last probably even for the rest of the day, but just, wow. This is a real uh, sort of hormonal reaction that's causing this anxiety. You know, when you know it's not anything that you can put your finger on and it feels a bit out of character. Yeah, it's not rational. It's not rational. So I'd like to just talk through some scenarios with you because there will be many different types of people listening to the menopause space. And I've got a few different scenarios that may help women in this stage just identify where they are and you know some of the solutions that you may offer will hopefully be helpful with them in in their everyday life so kit is 46 she's a single mom to two daughters aged 13 and 15. she has started to experience this increased anxiety particularly at work and it's not normal for her her daughter who is 13 has also become increasingly difficult and erratic with her mood swings as she is going through her hormonal phase. What strategies would you recommend to Kit who is going through perimenopause as well as her daughter going through puberty? Well, so first of all, communication with an awareness of what her stuff is and what Kate's stuff is and just really making sure there's an open communication between the two of them. And being transparent, we don't need to run around hiding what's going on and nor kind of should they. Sometimes there are going to be some hormonal changes. You know, you don't have to have all the answer, but just communication. I think with regards to anxiety at work, obviously, it's like we we already discussed about what are the things that I'm most worried about? Is it what will other people think? Because quite often there are those thoughts floating around that are actually that we're believing. They're thoughts that we have that we believe. I'm not good enough anymore or whatever. But also I feel like, a bit like what you were saying, sometimes we get to this point and we've kind of been running on adrenaline for quite a while and we've not really had to think, what is my body designed to do? You know, we're designed to go through menopause. It's not meant to be a complete crisis, but we're designed to go through menopause. But what else other than that are we designed to do? We're designed to connect with nature. We're designed to eat whole, nutritious food that's not processed. We're designed to connect face-to-face socially with others. We're designed to move. So I feel like this kind of time is a time to, in this example, to really think what can I do that also that my body was designed to do? When we put into place some of these things, they automatically tick the box of 
time for self, taking that moment. And it's a perfect time for Kate's daughter and her to connect on this as well and say, what are we meant to be doing here? Let's get back to how we're meant to move, to be, to breathe and just keep an open door. Yeah, no, that's so true. And, you know, with her being a single mum, and I put this down specifically because there are single mums out there with teenage daughters going through puberty and and they're experiencing it themselves. And in a positive way, not having a partner, they don't have to manage somebody else's feelings in the house. But in a different way, they may feel a little bit overwhelmed that they're having to navigate this alone. Is there any advice you could give to an individual like it who is on her own and possibly feeling a little bit overwhelmed? Yeah. So firstly, I'd be aware of what thoughts are there. I shouldn't have to do this on my own. I'll always be alone for the rest of my life. There's something wrong with me that I'm alone or whatever. All of those types of things that come into the being alone space complicate it and make it harder work than what it needs to be because none of those things are true, but we believe them. Otherwise, being aware of our thoughts, but also then using, really tapping into and using the supports that we do have because our friends are going through the same thing. We might have family members who've been through or are going through the same thing. So things can get overwhelmed. We don't have time to maybe connect in the way that we might like to. Really making time to connect with our support network. Everybody's got a support network. We just need to tap into it. And it may not be a partner in the house, but it's going to be somebody, some friends, some family, whoever it is, maybe it's just one or two people that we can be real with, but at least be real with those people because we tend to withdraw. We tend to think, oh, I don't want to speak up. I don't want to. Quite often, some of the loveliest people I meet are the ones that they they don't want to burden anyone else with their problems, but they actually end up not receiving the support that they need where they're the first person for other people to speak to. They need to, to just reach out and be real. Be real. It's overwhelming. And a problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah, definitely talking is is really important. So the second scenario is Lou is 46, recently divorced. She's on HRT for the last six months. Although she's feeling better, she has anxiety about a potential new relationship. She has past baggage of you know, her ex calling her crazy and fat. Should she move forward with this potential new relationship because of old thoughts? Or should she move forward and let go of the old and embrace the new? And how would she do that? So she's potentially digested these comments as fact about herself. And she's thought about them enough that she's now starting to believe them or at that time believed them as well about herself. And to be truthful, she probably already thought that about herself before he even said it because we're our own worst critics. If I feel like I'm going crazy, the worst thing is to hear it from somebody else. If I feel like I'm fat, the worst thing is to then hear someone else who we apparently are in a loving relationship with to say that. So it's about really looking at that scenario and putting it in its place. Firstly, that's his stuff. That was his stuff. That's not her stuff. That was his stuff that caused him to behave in that way, making cruel comments. Secondly, that doesn't make it truth. The reality is that we're our worst critics from childhood. So like we said, not only did she probably believe it, she's probably been thinking it for a long time oh, maybe I'm crazy or, oh, I'm fat or whatever. You know, we think some variation of these things. So she already believes, oh, it's because of me. 
there's something wrong with me. Whereas there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way that you're thinking about yourself and you've come to believe your thoughts. Beliefs are just things that we've thought over and over again and we believe them to be true. So it's kind of about compartmentalizing and and picturing what he has said in this brown suitcase that you're holding next to you, that you're carrying along and dragging into every situation in the present and in the future, feeling as though that's factual about me. That's who I am. So the best way then to move on from that is to really come back to now, make a decision about whether you want to be in a relationship based on that person, not based on, you know, what has happened in the past. Be aware of what you're saying to yourself about you because it's not what he said. It's actually what you're saying to you. I'm fat. I'm what? Really? Is that true? Is it truthful to say I would like to lose a couple of kilos? Well, that's a hell of a lot different to I'm fat. Like what is the truth? You know, it's not about him. It's about what's being digested and going on. And then we need to go in, have a look at those thoughts and say, well, uh, am I crazy? Or am I just, you know, having a response that's normal for the situations that I've been through? Yeah, we are our own worst enemy sometimes, aren't we? Always. And I suppose leaving a relationship and moving into a new relationship has its own kind of, you know, cool things to kind of get excited about, but also it can bring with it, like you say, some of that baggage that you have to let that go in order to move forward. And do you believe in affirmations? I absolutely do. And I believe in thinking, what else is holding you back? Like she's thinking, oh, this new relationship that I'm potentially getting into. What am I really afraid of? Maybe I'm really afraid of being rejected. Never mind about what he said or what I say. I'm absolutely terrified of being rejected. So my belief is I'm going to be rejected. And so then everything I do and say is based on, you know, I'm wearing those colored glasses, I'm wearing the rejection glasses, and I'm looking out for every possible way I could be rejected. So he kind of looks sideways or is running 10 minutes late to dinner and it's <gasps> all over, I've been rejected. <laughs> looking forward, what am I most afraid of? And the fears might have come from the past, but whatever, what am I most afraid of? What, and how do I behave when I believe that fear? I withdraw. I don't want to go near him because he's going to hurt me. What if I couldn't believe that I'm going to be rejected? Well, I would just be open to see what happens. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's not about me. It's about it didn't work out. So I've got one more. I've got the lovely Dora. She's 51 and she's in postmenopause. But during her perimenopause, she gained quite a bit of weight and lost a lot of self-confidence. And her doctor the lovely doctors here, keeps calling her fat and she needs to lose weight. Her BMI is too high. Also, her secretary at work has said, ma'am, you've got fat. <laughs> this is quite a common thing that I see in my clinic. And, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of women here, particularly in Asia, from a Caucasian possibly background or just a Western background who generally are bigger anyway. And the BMI difference is quite significant. And doctors or, or people are quite, because of the language barrier, are quite direct when they use the word fat. So Dora and I post-menopause, everything started to settle down. Like what advice would you give to somebody who is feeling like that and, you know, really struggling with, you know, these comments and self-confidence? So again, if I'm Dora, I'm thinking, what am I saying to myself now about me and my situation? I'll never lose the weight. 
number one. Well, already my motivation to do anything is rock bottom because I'll never lose the weight. So I'll never lose the weight. I'll never look the same as I used to before, or I'm not attractive anymore. All of these things that aren't true, they're just thoughts that we believe. So I would be looking at what are the thoughts that are holding us back? What do I want? What are my goals? What are my thoughts for myself? What are my dreams? Would I like to lose five kilos? Okay. So setting some positive goals that are realistic with like the help of yourself to really have a think about what's possible for me because it can feel like an end of the road thing. It can feel like, right, this is it now. You know, so like all this stuff, the mental health staff, the, phys- the, the pelvic health physio, the way, it can just feel like that's it now. When we look at the factual stuff of could I lose five kilos? Yes, quite possibly. Can I do it in a way that isn't going to feel restrictive and horrible? Most likely. And then what I say to myself around that becomes factual. I'm going to lose five kilos or I'd like to lose five kilos, not I'm going to never lose the weight. Oh, it's too impossible. I'm never going to be able to do it. Or I'm a horrible, unattractive person now, which is absolutely not true. Well, that's it. And it's kind of separating, like you've said before, and compartmentalizing what the the doctor has said and the belief that you have, and then being able to put little things in place in order to make positive change so that you do feel better. But it is important to recognize that our body shape does change during this period of transition. And I call it reset because I, you know, set reset 40. It's resetting your mindset and and resetting your relationship with your body. No, you most likely will not be and have the body you you had in your 30s and, and 20s and resetting your relationship with food, your relationship with comments that are coming your way, what you thought about them before and, and how you decide to move on to be healthier and stronger rather than wanting to be back to who you were and knowing that it's going to take a lot of restriction to do that and putting positive things in place in order to nourish your body for the long term, for the next 50 years. That's right. So being able to do all of those things that our bodies are meant to do and being able to process those insults, which are horrible. I mean, if someone said to me, well, you're fat, you should lose some weight. Even with my feeling that I don't want to lose weight, even knowing that if someone said I was fat, I'd be like, what? That's horrible. And yet, like you say, sometimes with the language barrier or whatever, it's a word that's used. And so it can seem really hurtful. So being up and sometimes it's like, oh, and it does sting. And then it's processing through that. It's then going, okay, that was a word that was used. Let me see what, what am I comfortable with? If I'm comfortable with my weight, I'm going to be able to process through the use of the word fat much more quickly. If I am not happy with my body and the way it is, oh, that's going to last a long time. So it's, am I okay the way I am? Do I want to speak to you about some nutrition advice or whatever, but it's kicking into the way I feel about me? Yeah. And it's also in a positive, like flipping it, you know, that word is super negative. The word fat, it feels super negative, but on a positive, it can be a reawakening for you to put things in place for the long term. Because if you are over a certain BMI or waist circumference, particularly in post-menopause, there are health risks that are associated with that. 
And it's not that maybe the doctor is doing it with your best interests, but you're only hearing that word when actually it could be a reawakening that you have to put more positive things in place so that you can let go of maybe uh, the risks of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and some cancers and things like that that are associated with living in a bigger body, particularly post-menopause for women. Exactly. So really looking at what's possible for me, what do I feel like, whether that's getting advice and you know, but what's possible for me and how do I get there? And going back to your original comment about it's education, it's empowering yourself with this knowledge because knowledge is power. And then you will be more informed to make the decisions that you want to make, you know, to help you feel better within your body. That's right. Let me just say though, that I do speak to people who would like to lose weight And in the past have lost weight at times and still didn't feel any better about themselves at those times, really. Like they might have felt mildly better, but really they were still beating themselves up all the time. So that's a completely separate thing. Feeling like, oh, I'd like to lose a few kilos for my health and my longevity. Fabulous. But realistically, if we know we're going to get there and still feel rubbish, that's a separate thing. That's, you know, I'm just kicking myself around for no reason. Well, that's it. And identifying that and putting things in place to help your mental health is so important too. That's why it's a holistic, you know, are you sleeping? Are you, you know, nourishing your body or all of these different things? If you had one or two top tips for women who are starting to experience this perimenopause or who are in the thick of it and are feeling this overwhelm, what would your top two tips be? I would say, number one, Take some time to look at what's going on, be aware and educate yourself over what you're experiencing and taking time for yourself regularly because, like we said, we're not doing the things our bodies were designed to do. So take some time to take some time for yourself and to educate, making sure I know maybe what to expect, although it's different for everybody. The other thing is I would say ideally in the morning and at times during the day, take a lot of deep breaths because you are probably not. So we need to incorporate that as part of our day. So ideally a minute or two in the morning, whenever you think of it during the day to take the deep breaths, because we don't want to have to navigate perimenopause and menopause with an otherwise high level of stress and overwhelm that's unrelated. The better shape we can be in stress-wise and all of that, the better we can manage perimenopause. So take a deep breath every time you remember throughout the day, even when you're feeling really good. That's a really good tip and something that I really need to uh, incorporate into my life for sure. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today on the Menopause Space. We will leave your details so that our listeners can reach out to you. And we look forward to hearing all your tips on the Joint Dynamics website and, and hearing what you're doing. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thank you so much. Your experience is really important to us here at The Menopause Space. You can check out our free resources as well as our professional advisory services at themenopausespace.com. We'd also love to hear from you. Send us a voice note to the WhatsApp number in the show notes with comments or questions you'd like to ask us about menopause. Or you can email us at podcast at themenopausespace.com. That's it for this edition of The Menopause Space. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong. Join us next week wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Reset 40, 
an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. The Menopause Space is a bold type production produced by Paula Sales and edited by Richard Eldred.